Hello, I'm Hesha Montasser, and you're listening to the Lighthouse Conversations, featuring entrepreneurs and people from the world of arts, culture, tech, and of course, food. On today's episode, we're talking fintech and how Dubai, through its financial hub, the DFC, is creating an ecosystem for startups who are spicing up the world of finance through technology. Coming from the world of finance myself, I'm especially excited about this episode. We will feature my guest, Rajal Mazrui, Vice President of the DIFC Fintech Hive, an accelerator program under the DIFC that provides business support, licensing, co-working, access to capital, and the regulatory framework to support companies in fintech, both conventional and Islamic, as well as insurtech, Islamic fintech, and more. Raja's career path started out in IT. She studied information technology at university and actually served in senior IT roles in Dubai, which gave her the perfect stepping stone to move into her current role. I have taken roles in IT and uh, I was the head of IT for Dubai Holding, for National Bonds, and then uh, 10 years ago for the DIFC. And uh, through working with the DIFC, I was exposed to the financial services uh, sector. And uh, I got uh, engaged further with the uh, financial institutions that operate from the DIFC. And uh, back in uh, 2017, the DIFC launched the Future of Finance strategy, which was looking at the opportunity of technology uh, disruption, or if you like to say transformation of several sectors, including financial services and the whole emergence of fintech as a concept and how could financial institutions collaborate with these uh, startups and it really got me excited because um, it was in a further area of development within the information uh, technology uh, that capitalized on the industry that I was working for for more than a decade. So I took on that opportunity and I saw myself as the perfect fit for it since I have um, uh, both parts of the equation, and uh, with the support of the uh, of the governor Isa Kabam and the CEO Arif Amiri, I went to them and I said, "I want to do this." And they're like, "Are you sure? Can you do it?" And I was like, "Yeah, let's find out." So I experimented with it for a while. I was working with uh, uh, innovation consultants from the industry. I was working with financial institutions from the region, from the DIFC. And uh, together we were able to shape the uh, program that keeps on developing and growing day over uh, day. And I fell in love with it. And, I, and I'm really uh, grateful that I landed that opportunity to be where I am today. That's brilliant. I mean, as someone who spent about 15 years working in, uh, in the financial industry on Wall Street and then in asset management and in Dubai as well, and in fact at the DIFC for many years, there's no question, I mean, having worked at a large investment bank, uh, for many years, how large the opportunity for disruption is and how much there's scope for both the banks to adopt technology as really a way of life, as a starting point, but also for uh, technology natives, which are the fintech companies to come on board and provide something uh, that the banks and insurance and others are not able to provide. And you fill that gap. Is, uh, is Fintech Hive at DIFC looking to focusing on a particular opportunity are you looking at it more broadly? Um, and then as a follow-up question, I want to understand a bit the companies that you bring into your accelerator programs and that you work with, are you looking for something particular there that they're solving, a problem that they're solving, or 
a particular fit? Sure. So um, the program was designed to bring, um, to identify, first of all, the challenges of the financial institutions in this region. And at the same time, scan the global map and see what developments are actually happening at the global scale. And what is the opportunity to match between what's happening globally with the gaps that we have today in the, in the sector and the region. So, and this was the main idea of bringing the local banks, the regional banks, and the global banks. So we had a very good mix between uh, most of the UAE banks like Emirates MBD, First uh, Abu Dhabi Bank, Dubai Islamic Bank, um, Abu Dhabi Islamic Bank. So, and also we have a good mix between Islamic and conventional uh, banking. In addition to regional banks like Riyadh Bank from Saudi Arabia, Arab Bank from Jordan, in addition to the global players, HSBC, Standard Chartered, and uh, Citibank, and Visa. So when you bring these uh, institutions together in one room and you start talking about what's happening globally versus the issues that we're facing in the region, you basically bring the strongest minds together from different backgrounds and you're able to identify the opportunity for this sector from a regional perspective. And once we agree that these are the priorities for this region, we as FinTech Hive start scouting and looking for the startups all over the world that would be able to solve these problems. So give us a sense, what are these priorities? Yeah, just to get a sense. So payments is a very popular area because as you can see today and post COVID, everyone is switching to digital, contactless, cashless, type of payments and to get the bank to actually offer these facilities takes them a very long time so it's best for them to collaborate or partner with a fintech who already have this amazing technology with amazing user experience interface that anyone in the market would just download on the phone and do the transaction and have the bank in the background to support the regulatory element or the functional element so this is the power of the uh, fintech. Other areas where uh, regulatory requirements, for example, the uh, KYC on the blockchain uh, was a very popular uh, challenge that I am so proud of. One of the startups that came to our program in 2017 has been able to uh, solve and is already working with more than 10 financial institutions in the UAE doing their KYC on the blockchain through this institution. Have you seen resistance from the traditional banks? Yani obviously, they come from a diff very different world. And you have these young entrepreneurs um, that are coming in, they're more tech-driven, they are impatient. So two worlds with two very different cultures. And I would imagine part of your job is to bridge these gaps between these two cultures. Uh, how have you been able to do that? And have you seen resistance from the conventional banks they come onto your platform? Absolutely. So in the very beginning, there was a lot of um, uh, innovation culture push that we were trying to do, create awareness, um, uh, talk to the different stakeholders about the importance of this opportunity. There is definitely resistance from different institutions because A, they focus on ROI immediately. 
Second is some people within these institutions think that if I open my um, uh, door to collaborating with the startups, I might risk my um, uh, infrastructure, you know, with all the security and compliance requirement, or I might be redundant because they will not need my uh, skills anymore, and, and all types of resistance. However, the approach that we follow in our program is by doing uh, all of these roadshows with all of the financial institutions. So we go with the startups. So we take 10 or 15 startups and we go to each and every single bank. And each bank would host us in a way very similar to a town hall. They would bring in the top management, the heads of functions, and different teams from project management, uh, IT, uh, the, the core teams that will actually make this uh, work in their favor and uh, make them listen to these pitches and understand what this technology is trying to do. Doing this, first of all, you achieve that culture um, uh, of innovation uh, push through your uh, people and teams. And the second is you uh, open their minds to such ideas. And then based on what they see, they start to think differently, knowing that the world of financial services is moving into a different direction how about if we do this in this way? And that's where all the creativity comes when the owner of the business who understands that business um, thousand percent comes and says, okay, I like this technology. However, for me, it's not gonna work like this. We will have to tune it and change it and modify it to fit my requirement. And that's where our program brings the most value because we have a period of mentorship of eight weeks between the startups and the banks. They sit, they go through the architecture, understand all the obstacles, all the opportunities. And mostly because the startups are global, they need to localize their products to fit our region. And that's achieved through the mentorship. And I'm so proud to tell you that we have more than 30 products live in the UAE market today out of the FinTech Hive startups. Are these people for those eight, eight weeks, are they staying with you at DFC? Yani this is, uh, they are local, physically present, pre-COVID, I suppose. This cohort that we identify to solve these problems come from all over the world to Dubai for a period of three months. During these three months, they meet the regulators, the financial institutions, they pitch their services, they meet investors, they raise funding, and they meet the whole financial services community through the DIFC. At the end of three months, they would have materialized some agreements on some uh, scope of work or proof of concept or things like that. For them to actually engage with the financial institutions, the DIFC has offered uh, subsidized licenses for fintech where you can set up a license within a day, get a flexible uh, workspace and a desk to manage that engagement. And eventually, once that engagement um, the progress with the financial institution. You see these companies move more people here in, in Dubai to attend to the requirements that are growing from multiple uh, partners. So the rate has been 50%, about 50% from the cohort ends up getting licenses and offices and operating from the DIFC. That's pretty, that's pretty high. And how have you managed this in a post-COVID world? Whether you do it virtually or has it not happened this year yet? So the program is planned to start in September and all of us wants to have it in person. However, if the situation continues and if there are some restrictions, we will definitely have 
a hybrid model between um, in-person and virtual, depending on where the applications are coming from. We have a very big uh, pool of applications that are coming from the UAE directly. And I think with us doing all of these programs and the UAE's government um, uh, push for innovation and creation of all these accelerators and ecosystem for startups, you start to see a lot of people actually quitting their jobs and setting up their own startups or starting to think in a different way how can they contribute to the startups ecosystem because it is um, uh, getting a lot of attention from investors or from regulations or from from support uh, perspective and and Raj, i want to just go back to a minute to this uh, culture clash which i find not clash necessarily but a gap which i find fascinating between the conventional banking and fintech I remember, for example, when I used to work uh, in asset management, I was with an Egyptian bank called EFGRMS, and we had a big brokerage uh, unit, and we um, looked at doing you know, the technology of it off the shelf, and eventually wind up doing it in-house. It took us much longer. It took us probably, we spent a lot more than we had to, and the final product at the time, this is in 2007, 2008, was not as good as what others were offering that were doing this in a purely systemized, focused way. If I would come to you today, and I'm ahead of a bank, theoretically, just to understand how we look at this, and I'm looking, for example, you mentioned payment system, and I'm saying I have an issue with you know, payment systems that are our work is all, uh, we, we need to digitize this process. Would you recommend to those types of uh, banks who acquire one of those uh, companies, partner with them, uh, do it in-house and get them maybe to just give them advice. What I know in it, there's no one size fits all, of course. Each situation is different. So my question is a bit tricky. But generally speaking, what is usually your line of advice in terms of how they can bridge this gap? So we encourage collaboration, first, of, first and foremost, because through collaboration, you realize how much you save in terms of resources and technology and so forth but also you're supporting this uh, startup to actually innovate and you know um, save the time that will take you to develop all of that with regards to acquisition there are some uh, institutions that know exactly what they want and they have uh, strong teams that are looking at the opportunities of investments, the likes of HSBC and Visa, who are investing globally in fintech startups all over the world. And they have dedicated teams to look at that because they want to maintain that competitive advantage. However, the approach we follow in the DIFC is we identify a cohort. This cohort ranged from 10 to 31 uh, startups last year. And this cohort works with a set of financial institutions. So we bring in the 10 and we speak with all the banks and then we take the same 10 to all the banks and then collectively find out how is this product fit for the market. Now, some banks might have separate conversations, sign an NDA and exclusivity. Obviously, they'll pay more for it. And some other banks like good technology, we're happy to use it as white labeled uh, technology or uh, just plug into our infrastructure. And how does regulation come into this? Because obviously traditional financial institutions are highly regulated for obvious reasons. You have to have a license to operate as a banking institution that takes deposits, takes out, you know, uh, uh, issues, loans, etc. If I'm a startup digital bank today, uh, 
how would I do it? And I come to you and I say, I want to be part of your program. I have this app. It's amazing. Uh, but I want to you know, take on deposits, issue loans, etc. Would I have to go collaborate with the bank, as you've suggested? Can I go to the central bank and ask for a license? How does the regulatory structure on fintech currently work? So as you know, there are um, uh, three regulatory authorities in financial services in the UAE. You have the DIFC, the ADGM, and the UAE Central Bank. Uh, so far, um, uh, none of them have issued a digital banking license except for the Central Bank, I think. There is one digital bank that is coming. However, with any technology that comes through our cohort, we have the regulator sit next to us through all of these interviews. And based on the feedback of the regulator, we know that this technology could get a regulatory license because the regulator, the DFSA, has launched their own regulatory uh, regime that is called the Innovation Testing License. I'll give you an example. There's this amazing company called Serwa who are robo-advisors, and they provide this service for people starting from 500 US dollars. Previously, you did not have access to such service. You had to go through an investment bank and have a big deposit to start that process and pay huge fees. When they joined our program, they worked uh, with the regulators and um, uh, used the innovation testing license structure to launch the first regulation by the DFSA for robo-advisors. So it's progressive regulation that uh, is a result of the collaboration between the regulators and the startups. There's a lot of education that happened on both sides, but the first uh, uh, company to get the license actually opens the door for many robo-advisors because that regulation is already published. Yeah, I think this is a very important area because, I mean, increasingly so many of us, right? Even when you think about our day-to-day, even if we are still uh, banking with a traditional bank, I mean, we're doing it on our app. You know, I mean, with the exception of a few things, all the services you can do on app. And as you said earlier, COVID obviously has accelerated all these trends. Absolutely. And, you know, if we look for uh, technologies that are existing, uh, the regulations that are existing, we're not doing any innovation. So what we do is we look for something that's not existing, put them next to the regulator, make them work together towards launching that regulatory framework uh, using the uh, knowledge and the experience that we have uh, gained through this engagement. And uh, what are you, are you, I would imagine, as part of a broader fintech effort, you look at insurance as well. That's obviously a very large sector, also right for disruption, uh, both uh, conventional insurance and Islamic insurance, uh, Takaful. Uh, are you playing a role in that sector as well or focusing mostly on just uh, banking? No, we definitely do. So in 2017, we launched the FinTech program. It was focused on financial institutions, banking mainly. In 2018, we launched our InsureTech program, the first InsureTech program. And going back to your question on culture, I remember inviting uh, all of the insurance companies in the DIFC to the FinTech Hive and giving them a presentation about the opportunity for InsureTech. And I think 80% were not convinced and left the meeting. So in 2018, we launched the program and we managed to get five insurance partners uh, to join that program. It was so successful that we had a surge in applications in InsurTech particularly. And the following year, we've had 10 insurance companies join the program because they heard the news and they saw 
the opportunity for insurtech and uh, Hashim today more than ever you need uh, access to insurance because of COVID for any trip that you take you want to take that insurance and buy it from your phone uh, tailor-made for your requirements your age your lifestyle your health level uh, your fitness levels and that should be available today it's not a choice you can't just wait for someone to uh, offer you that complicated insurance policy because today um, is completely different than when where you were uh, last year i think you're 100 percent right and as you may know in the us uh, just a few days ago a, a company in short tech company called lemonade just went public and a lot of people if you follow twitter and some others were very skeptical and said you know it's not making money all the usual things you usually hear now i don't know the company to know uh, how successful they are but i looked at their interface and when I, when I look at that, I look at how I have to do my, my personal insurance today or my health insurance where I'm still taking the form, filling it by hand, scanning it, emailing it, getting back. There's no question that there's room there. Uh, the, the company went public and overnight doubled, actually went up 150% in the stock market. So that's a sign that clearly there's something there that's very valuable that has to be unlocked. And our part, as you said, it's no, no different. So companies will come there uh, whether, we, whether we, they want it or not. Do you back your program, Raja? Is there an investment element to it as well or, uh, or you just introduce the cohort to potential investors? So obviously, uh, startups famously need a lot of capital in the early stages. Um, are you part of that investment process or is part of the job just to, med to mediate between potential investors and the cohort companies? Um, uh, Hashem, to create an effective ecosystem for startups to grow, you need to look at different elements, specifically in fintech. One of them, regulation, which we spoke about. One of them is uh, talent development. One of them is access to market opportunities, which we uh, provide through collaboration with the financial institutions. And definitely funding is fundamental for their growth. So through the DIFC, uh, DIFC launched a 100 million dedicated fintech fund to invest in fintech startups. And we have just announced our investment in, uh, I think, four uh, startups so far. Uh, some of them are from our cohort and some of them are not. And this fund is dedicated to support the fintech startups. Now, we also have another program that we run in the fintech hive that um, uh, does a seed investment in, uh, in the startups in exchange for a small equity. And then the other two programs, the scale-ups program and the growth program, we work with our partners of VCs uh, and investment partners to introduce the startups to uh, these firms who meet with them individually and identify what match their portfolio and eventually invest in them. So we provide uh, multiple opportunities of investment into these fintechs. I, okay. I can see that you take a lot of pride and joy in the work you do every day. I'm not surprised. Out of, out of curiosity, so in your typical day, what is, what's the part that gets you the most excited? I mean, obviously, there's many facets to your job, but uh, what is it? Is it working with entrepreneurs? Is it the management part? Is it the looking at investments? I mean, what part that, that you feel is, is, is really gets you going every day? Uh, Hashem, I have a complete passion to what I do, and it 
it's really sparked when I learn new things and new technologies. So I have uh, in the in the fintech hive we have more than 130 startups, and they're all fintech focused. And imagine the knowledge that you get access to through sitting with these startups and trying to understand what they do. So there's a big element in learning that keeps you going and excited that you've learned something new. The other thing is when you see them grow. So when you see them add partners or add employees or raise funding, you feel like you've contributed to the growth story of like a child, like a child, which, (laughs) which has a huge impact on, on me personally, on the team that works with me and with the IFC, because we have, planted the seeds and today we can see these seeds grow and the number of companies increase and we see our startups they came as two people and now it's a team of 12 people and managing multiple accounts you just you know get so much out of it and how has this last period changed things because covid has done a few things for everyone every business but in many digital businesses uh it has actually accelerated in some cases their business plans, accelerated their uh, profit potential, et cetera. What have you seen in terms of impact on uh, the cohorts that you've, you've had under your roster, the 120 companies you've talked about, in terms of the impact of COVID on them? So with the impact of COVID, I think you have uh, got rid of one uh, topic that you usually start your meetings with convincing everyone with technology and digital transformation. That has happened. So wherever you go, they don't need to pitch it anymore. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is great because that takes away a a, a huge uh, barrier. The second thing is you see that these guys, and I was honestly in the beginning quite skeptical. How are they going to manage, you know, with everything slowing down? You would think that the institutions will start to cut down uh, budgets and reduce resources, but uh, really they have been able to leverage on the transformation and they've been looking at how can I benefit from this technology and eliminate this X from my budget. So it has created a bigger opportunities for the fintechs to prove their worth and uh, especially with the timing that we're in right now. And are there any challenges? I'm sure there's also some challenges that's come with this. I mean, what challenges have you faced, both in terms of working remotely, but also just um, your business going forward? So initially, uh, personally, Hashim, at the beginning, I was in super denial. I was like, no, I'm not working from home. I need to be in the office. I need to see everyone. And, you know, I, I miss the events and gatherings and everything that we used to uh, do. Uh, and then I was skeptical about how are we going to manage work from home? Because most of my work is based on relationship development. Meeting and meetings people, and seeing them. So to get me started from home knowing my kids are like a few meters away was a bit uh, difficult in the beginning but then obviously I found out it was really productive I cut down on a lot of travel on a lot of commute between Abu Dhabi Dubai and going to meetings that you actually finish on zoom or on MS Teams within 30 minutes we used to spend a lot of times going to meetings preparing for meetings pleasantries yeah which, which really increased the productivity uh, of the team. And it also gave us a look towards the future in terms of our operating model. Uh, what else can we do? How many times do we uh, accelerate the market? How do, we, how do we keep our partners engaged? How do we um, leverage the access to technology that we have today to take us to a next level? So it really opened our mind towards a lot of areas that we have not been paying attention to 
And, and Ranjha, just I have a question for you. I'm, uh, in, you know, I mean, we run a, a, a restaurant business out of DC called The Lighthouse, and a very big topic is food tech, uh, cloud kitchens, a lot of things that uh, where a lot of that experience have moved digitally as well. And we have uh, many uh, conversations around, have them even more now post-COVID, uh, will restaurants survive, will they survive the way they are, etc. My personal view was always there is definitely room for uh, growth in terms of cloud kitchens and in terms of delivery, but uh, restaurants as businesses may have to evolve, but they're here to stay because we are social animals by nature, uh, human beings, and we like the idea of sharing, and also the person, maybe we'll do less of it, but that social element of F&B will always be there. So I want to ask you if you use a parallel to banking, because there's, I think, a similar debate. And I could go today, I live here in Barsha, and go around uh, a number of streets, and I find three or four or five banking banks uh, around the corner. Do you think, this is a, your personal view, this will change, and maybe they will just turn into small kiosks or actually be eliminated altogether and become restaurants, and all we'll do in terms of the day-to-day -day banking services will be digital? Or do you feel that we will always have this mix? Uh, Hashim, I'm sure you've heard about the UAE new government structure that was announced yes, a couple of years ago. And the first thing the prime minister said that the uh, customer service centers for the public will be reduced by 50%. I saw that, Masbot, for government services. Yes. So imagine if customer services centers are reduced by 50% for the government. The banks need to go digital. There should be no need for the bank to have a physical uh, customer-facing branch other than a tool where you will be uploading the required documents, for example, through the ATM machine. I mean, the ATM machine has been a deposit machine or giving you a cash machine. Why don't we use it to put in the national ID, to scan the passport copy, to do your thumbprint or eye scan to get everything else done? So that's my vision for the banking. However, I think the opportunity for FMB is great. You will be able to optimize on the technology and the backend operations and have more experienced outlets. Um, people will always uh, look for uh, locations to uh, have a new experience with FMB, but nobody wants to go to the bank. So eventually that but obviously, this is a big, a big thing because there's a lot of resistance, not just from the banks, but, you know, for a lot of people, my, my, my and your parents' generation, all they knew was you went to your branch, or you may even know the branch manager, and maybe you had a coffee, and then you did your banking services. Uh, and obviously, that also has a huge implication on, on hiring and the number of people, those banks. I completely agree with you, and I think that they will have to go digital. Uh, I'm curious, do you think that transformation, which I agree will inevitably have to happen here and everywhere, do you think that's a five-year transformation, 10-year, 20 years? I mean, what, what's your sense? you think it's been accelerated post-COVID? Five years maximum. Okay. By five years, 50% of these banks, uh, branches, the customer-facing branches should disappear. And Hashim, don't forget your father and my father stopped going to the bank in COVID. And once they realize that they can get away with it, they will not do it again. Thank you for joining the Lighthouse Conversations. This episode was hosted by me, Hashem Montasser, and produced by Chirag Desai. 
If you've enjoyed listening to us, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcast and now on IMDb as it really helps people discover the show. Also, share it with your friends. You can stay in touch with us on Instagram at thelighthouse underscore AE and you can listen to any of our previous shows in any of your favorite podcast players or on our website at thelighthouse.ae slash podcast. We'll see you in two weeks.